Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Black and White Television, the review show. This is where we are reviewing the episodes of the Black and White series of The Saint that is currently showing on Talking Pictures Television. Because we've been away, we haven't been able to review a few episodes, and we have four, yes, four. Count them, four. To tackle uh, in this programme. Marcia, the work of art, Iris, and King of the Beggars, all of which we've got a lot to say about, and possibly a few asides to the major shop window, which went up on Monday, I think it was, uh, which was small screen to big screen, and it's about all those series that made a transition to the cinema. Of course, The Saint was one of those, where they took a couple of two-parters and bolted them together, uh, and released them. Uh, one thing we didn't mention was Karoshi, which was two of Danger Man's colour episodes, the short-lived colour series before he went on to make The Prisoner, and that was released as a cinema version as well. But we're dealing with The Saint, and I think what we should do first is canter through them, and then there are some points that I think that are worth mentioning. Certain recurring themes mm. from these episodes which we can uh, touch on once we've completed it but the first up is marcia which actually is quite an unpleasant incident which we don't really see but um that kicks everything off dave tell us about marcia uh, Marcia is one of the name episodes where uh, it's a, a name of a character. But in this case, it's a little bit unusual because Marcia um, is already dead. Um, spoiler alert. Um, and all we get to see is her photograph um, at a later stage. Um, and Marcia was a rising star, very successful star. Um, and unfortunately, her demise has left a bit of a gap um, in the uh, production of the film Subterfuge. And uh, they've had to get another actress to um, come into place. And that other actress is um, played by Samantha Egger. Um, obviously a lovely, uh, we'd spoken before about Julie Christie, um, just like a few years before big, big stardom. Um, and Samantha Egger, sort of like the same, just a couple of years before appearing in The Collector, which was Oscar nominated um, and which she won Best Actress at Cannes. Um, but in this instance, Samantha's having a bit of a rough time of it in the studio because there appears to be someone out to get her. Um, and um, blackmailing her as well. There's a whole host of suspects ranging uh, from Johnny Briggs, Coronation Street, Mike Baldwin, and others as well. Is it the director? Is it the director's um, other half? Is it a jealous actress? Is it the moody producer? Oh, we don't know. We don't know. And um, Samantha throws herself on... Um, the services of Mr. Simon Templer. And it's also one of those lovely episodes um, in which they've decided, oh, you know what? If we have it set in the world of film, we can just film it at Elstree at Boreham Wood, um, much like starring The Saint a few weeks back. So there's there's all kinds of intrigue. Will, you know, Samantha crumble? Will she cave in? But no, thankfully, uh, due to the Saint's intervention, it all sort of works out. Yes, and we'll come to who was really behind <gasps> this terrible incident uh, towards the end, because there's kind of a theme here. A couple of interesting things. In Marcia, there is a thing about the handover of the money. And yeah. there's, there's this rather creepy police inspector who, the, the way they play it, you think, is he really he does. possibly the villain? Yeah, he does. Philip Stone, who, who we probably all remember from um, The Shining, as Delbert Grady or Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, um, amongst many others. Uh, yeah, he comes just the wrong side of creepiness. And then there's that very, very subtle move. He becomes a little bit starstruck. The fact that he's, you know, he's he's working in a film studio. He's walking around a, a film studio and there's glamour and there's cameras. Yeah, at first you just think, hey, wait a minute. Is this of a sufficient age that the cop's the villain? Yes. I mean, he does the creepy thing pretty well, I think. Mm. Now, 
the plan is that they actually have a ransom and it has to be put in the script pannier mm. of the chair as Samantha Egger's character. And of course, there's a lot of cutting backwards and forwards, feet moving backwards and forwards, and you're not quite sure who the feet belong to. Though I, I had a pretty good guess that those were Johnny Briggs' shoes. <laughs> Those kind of suede winkle pickers or whatever you call them. He'd have gone to Freedom, Hardy and Willis um, (laughs) and got them. Yes. But Simon Templer does a lot of hanging around and looking. And we know exactly how long one of his hanging around in the shadows stints is because he decides that because they haven't picked up, the blackmailers haven't picked up the money, they're going to do it overnight. So he hangs around in the deserted, darkened film studio from quarter past six to quarter to ten. That's three and a half hours. A long shift. Without a loo break. Without a loo break. Um, uh, obviously, the, all the, the catering and the honey wagon people had gone home at the film studio by that point. So no you know, mug of tea or bacon sarnie or anything like that to keep him going. And this time, he hasn't actually lit up a cigarette as far as we know. So he's learned his lesson. So Marcia, we've mentioned um, Philip Stone, another pillar of television with 126 screen credits, 17 episodes of Justice, 26 of the Rat Catchers, a bit of Coronation Street and Dr. Finney's casebook, Badger's Bend, which was a recent discovery by Talking Pictures TV, Zed Cars, May Grey Compact, but most importantly, appearing as a villain in the first two episodes of The Avengers. All right. Okay. Was he always bald? He always comes across as one of those actors who who we, we know him for being bald, but he always looked as if he was bald. I think he was born bald. Right. Let's go to the top. Samantha Egger, as you say. Um, she's already done five episodes of Rob Roy in 1961. Highland Rogue. Appeared in Ghost Squad. Later on, she was in 13 episodes, I think, of Anna and the King in 1972. Yeah, the TV uh, series based on Anna and the King of Siam. Yeah, a, a, an unlikely subject uh, for a... Uh, television program but it was almost like a, a sitcom i don't really remember it i mean it's an uneven likelier subject for a musical <laughs> yes we mentioned the collector but she was also I presume the love interest in dr doolittle yes she is um dr um dr doolittle and then um later career highlights she's in the brood very um, uh, thoughtful and daring performance in David Cronenberg's shock body horror. Um, she turns up in an episode of Columbo. Uh, so, yeah, she, uh, you know, um, rode the crest for a while. Indeed. Kenneth McIntosh. Now, he was in something called The Men from Room 13, which is not to be confused with The Man from Room 17. They're just a couple of doors down the corridor, though, surely. It must be a bigger room because there's men in there and there's only a man in, in the other one. Now, that series is believed to be lost, oh, like so many. How careless. Also in the 60s, he was in the serial Kidnapped and Dr. Finley's Casebook. Now, this is something we alluded to in our big screen to small screen shop window episode as a possible future subject to go into more depth he was in the raf i presume i think it's the raf because his plane was shot down in 1941 and he became a prisoner of war in stalag luft three which was the camp where they did the wooden horse for real and the great escape for real wow and he got his taste for acting by running the theater built by his fellow prisoners Thereby hangs a tale. And there are several other people who achieved fame in film and television who also acted in said theatre at said camp. And so that's why I think it's worth exploring. Other prisoner of war camps are available. Mm. Marion Mathy, 
She's possibly best known for her roles in uh, the 80s as Mrs. Susan Wise in the Map and Lucia series. Um, and also for taking over as Hilda Rumpole in the later series of Rumpole of the Bailey. Not so much of a stalwart as a pillar of television. Appearances in Six Wives of Henry VIII, Judge D, Department S, Menace, The Expert, Theatre 625, Softly, Softly, The Troubleshooters, The Informer, Adam Adamant, Public Eye, No Hiding Place, Dixner, Doc Green, and The Man from Interpol. You know, Name but everywhere. a few. Uh, Johnny Briggs. Now, I want you to get to within 10 the number of appearances that he made as Mike Baldwin in Coronation Street. I will say 415. And miss as good as a mile. 1,796. Madre mia. But before that, 80 episodes of No Hiding Place. Oh, right. Yes, yeah. We forget that he was he, he was someone before he was Mike Baldwin. As well as popping up in Softly Softly, The Persuaders and Freewheelers. Now, was Freewheelers that thing done by Southern Television with the boat? Uh, I don't know. For a moment then, I had a flashing image of Chalton and the Wheelies. Uh, and then I thought, no, it can't be that. That would be crazy. That would be that would be ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I think Freewheelers is is one of those that's that shot off the coast. Because they had access to the sea. <laughs> Jill Melford, half a point for the new Avengers. Loads of other stuff, including Danger Man, Sergeant Cork, Ghost Squad, No Hiding Place, The View from Daniel Pike, which I remember fondly, actually. Roddy mm. McMillan. Uh, and Father Dear Father. All right, there we go. Stanley Meadows, a familiar face with a long career, which included one point in 1967, three saints, eight appearances in Dixon and Doc Green, two of the Fen Street Gang, the Persuaders, Randall and Hopkirk, eight armchair theatres and two Wednesday plays, and 29 episodes of Early Coronation Street. Oh, we go. oh maybe you knew Johnny Briggs. Very probably. Though Johnny Briggs didn't actually take over until... The early 70s, I think. It's quite surprising. That's, he's kind of ended the golden age by uh, because then gradually you get into the five days a week nonsense mm. that uh, currently exists in soaps on television. Tony Beckley, have I just mentioned him? Doctor Who, The Seeds of Doom. Oh, Tony Beckley. Tony Beckley, though, um, fil big film goers may remember him in um, The Italian Job. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, as Noel Coward's man on the outside, um, coordinating all the bits and pieces. He also runs over Bradford Dillman in a Rolls Royce at the end of Gold. And perhaps most significantly and creepily, he is the unwanted visitor in When a Stranger Calls. Ooh. The calls are coming from inside the house. Janet Davis, best known for playing Mrs. Mavis Pike in 30 episodes of Dad's Army, but not... In the feature it, film, as you, as you point out, maybe, uh, you know, maybe she wasn't a big draw for Columbia. Uh, maybe she was a communist. We don't know. Apparently, Columbia wanted someone more sexy. All right. So they chose Liz Fraser. Okay, there you go. And what Columbia wants, Columbia gets. Elsewhere, she was in Gideon's Way, the... Police surgeon, which is, you know, I'm, I'm almost on the verge of giving some people half points for being a police surgeon, but oh, I don't know oh. it well enough. D does that have to go to a? Does that have to go to an appeal? Is there an appeals procedure? There's an arbitration panel that oh, is uh, currently meeting. All oh, right, okay, it's a bit like a, it's a bit like ACAS for equity. <laughs> um, anyway, many others, but her career was far too short. Uh, Philip Anthony. Two points, roles in Sergeant Cork, Compact, Doctor Who, Adam Adamant, Sherlock Holmes, uh, and his career extended until his death in 2020. Virginia Clay, one point, although it's in fog. Plenty of other stuff, including Upstairs, Downstairs, but also The Befrienders, which you mentioned before, and you implied didn't sound particularly dramatic. No, um, it just, just sounds like someone you might meet shopping or, or down the pub or in the park. But it's a bit darker than that because it's about the Samaritans. Oh, right. Okay. And I do remember it. And I remember that letters went into points of view complaining 
that they didn't try hard enough to track people down who seemed to be making their final phone call. But they're the Salvation oh. Army. They're not the cops. They're not U.S. Marshals. No, well, not the Salvation Army. The Samaritans. Oh, the Samaritans. Sorry, yeah, but the Samaritans. They're not. They're not U.S. Marshals. It's as simple as that. There's always been that clear definition, despite the fact that you could be a captain or a, a lieutenant colonel. That's the Salvation Army. Yes. Oh, it is. Don't Samaritans, <laughs> do they have ranks? No, no. They're, they're just friendly people. Ah, oh, plain clothes. That's right. The Salvation Army, if they would track you down, they turned up mob-handed. Oh, there would be loads of them. Yeah, with brass-band instruments. Oh, nightmare. Peter, I think I'm going to pronounce this do good, but it's. I apologise to him for not knowing how to pronounce his name. It's spelt D-U-G-U-I-D. So it could be Dugui or Dugud. This was his last screen appearance before he embarked on a long career as a director with 43 credits and five episodes of the Wednesday play and 11 of Callan to his name. Oh, right. Okay. Good on him. Richard Armstrong, a sizable career as a comedy stalwart, but also 68 appearances in Compact. So that's Marcia. Uh, the work of art. Now, one thing I have to say about this, that there's some confusion about who the bad guys are. Are they OAS, who wanted to keep Algeria French? Yes. Or FLN, who wanted Algeria to be independent? Um, they get name-checked. Is it SNCF, the French National Railway? I think they come into it as well. Uh, always suspect. But, of course, this went out in 1963, and Algeria had already become independent the year before, so it's already a bit out of date. But the original Leslie Charteris story was called The Spanish War, which I'm guessing may originally have been set during the Spanish Civil War. Anyway, the script was by Harry W. Junkin. So having set that historical context would you like to explain what the plot was well it's it's really strange for it to um have that that political or or that topicality um to it usually the the saint and actually a lot of series at the time those adventure one hour itc thickier adventures um would not almost acknowledge what was going on perhaps in the real world you know there wouldn't be um an indication or or, uh you know descriptions of perhaps oh what's going on in vietnam or what's been going on in cuba or anything like it almost seemed as if the real world didn't intrude so it's quite unusual um in in this uh, um aspect Uh, so anyway the um the saint simon templar um, goes along and it's um, a friend of his friend and her um, sister who um, run a company that imports and exports olives and dates um, as opposed to dates and olives, which are two entirely different things. Um, and everything seems to be going all right. And you sort of hoping, even though it's an old friend of the saint, that one of them isn't going to die. Uh, and it turns out that, no, thankfully, it's an employee um, of Alex Scott's firm um, who appears to be not necessarily up to no good, but he seems to be under pressure to no- do no good. So he he forges a check. Um, he does that thing of asking for a check, um, I think, for about like 50 francs, and then he changes it to a huge amount, um, cashes it. The bank don't have ask any questions um, about it um, because he's paying off. He's paying back um, Martin Benson and um, his cronies, who, like you said, do seem to, to have this political movement um, or this idea of, of reestablishing or overthrowing um, or one of those. And then, thankfully, um, the saint manages to to get things sorted out. Um, There's lots of antics. There's another one of um, those scenes in which the saint keeps a cop happy at a party. Well, Sergeant, it looks as though we're going to be stuck with each other, doesn't it? Yes, monsieur, it does. So, make things cosier all round if we were pleasant. Agreed. Tonight, we're going to do a little entertaining. And you, Sergeant, will be guest of honor. I am very flattered. I don't suppose you'd wear a, a costume. I would not. A costume? 
Yes. Isn't that what you usually wear at fancy dress parties? Much like the other week <laughs> where uh, um, it was he just kept feeding a cop. In this, just keeps them happier to, um, at a party. And in a lovely, eerie echoing, at one point, Simon has to disguise himself as a clown. And the clown disguise he chooses looks very eerily like the one Sir Roger wore many years later in Octopasty. <laughs> yes, I mean, maybe it's the same one. Because it obviously they've done the fitting once. Why waste the, the time and energy? Yeah, yeah, just just do it. Um, it moves like the clappers. It's directed by Peter Yates, who again was just like a couple of years off doing things like robbery, um, and bullet and Murphy's War. So we have that um to look forward to. I know you mentioned before about health and safety, very dangerous in this. Um, is knives being used as keys um to try and open drawers? Uh, and um, people do it loads of times in this episode. And then, unfortunately, later on uses a knife as a knife because someone gets stabbed. Um, the thing that baffles me is the big party that's going on in, in Simon's apartment, which he uses as a cover for him to do all his running around, um, is the neighbours never complain. Uh, there's no cutaway shot of a guy in a vest just pounding on the wall, asking them to keep it down. Uh, but yes, there's there's lots of um, antics in this. Um, like I said, Martin Benson shows up, who's a very, very familiar face. Um, big cinema goers may remember him from The Omen um, as a duplicitous priest who gets his face melted. So yeah, there's Alex Scott. Like I said, he's the uh, troubled company owner selling his... But for once, Alex Scott's not playing a villain. Not playing a villain. Um, and I think you see in the abominable Dr. Fibes where he gets his head crushed by a frog mask. Yes, I think it is actually. Oh, what a oh, he gets several pillars of the acting establishment <laughs> come to a sticky end in the abominable Dr. Fibes. Uh, now, one of the things which is uh, um, again kind of eerily echoed only a couple of episodes after this, after the work of art, is Rog gets someone to to play him at the party dressed as the clown to fool the coppers. Um, but who he gets can't do Roger's voice. Can't do. Oh Roger's yes. Voice. Although like I said in, in Iris, which is the next episode after this, someone does impersonate Roger Moore. I was going to come to that. We may have some clips that illustrate the use of the telephone, both with the real Roger Moore. Yeah. Uh, or the real Simon Templar rather and the fake Simon Templar. Hello? Mr. Lancet, please. Speaking, who's this? I'm interested in Harry Blundell's accidental death because it wasn't an accident and I can prove it. You started that fire yourself. Who is this? A friend. How much do you want? Oh, I'm not greedy, 10,000 pounds. That's not my voice. <laughs> in Iris, he is around with both uh, David Bowers' character and Cyril Luckham's character mm. about it because the impersonation is near perfect. And it's it's such a distinctive voice. You know, it'd be like being blackmailed by Michael Caine. You know, you get a phone call and you just go, wow, this sounds like Michael Caine. How much in use five as Mike? Uh, and it's it's such a distinctive voice. Uh, yeah, um, it, it was a remarkable impersonation. One could yeah. almost think that, Perhaps Rog himself had done it. What a cheeky little bit of meta humour. Right. There is a bit of the end of this, uh, the work of art, which I'll come back to because it is eerily similar to the denouement in The King of the Beggars. We'll come back to that. But before we'll keep... you go any further, Guy, I should inform you that Inspector Lestrade and his men are on their way here <laughs> And I know that you're going to suggest that I'm bluffing and that you don't believe me. That is the oldest bluff in the world. True. But you must admit, I do hold most of the high cards. Oh, well, we'll have to see what happens at the end. Yes. <laughs> that may be a recurring trope throughout the Saints series, both in black and white and colour, as is the Wild Party. The hook you look bored. I am, monsieur. Well, come on, I saw that. Cheer you up a little. Sure, I'm on duty. Sergeant, your duty is to watch me. And since I'm not going anywhere, why not enjoy yourself? Thank you, monsieur. 
Gabay, hospitable. You're more than welcome. But you know, monsieur, I feel just whole, um, out of place not being in costume. Well, uh, tell everybody you came as a plainclothes detective. Uh, oh, Monsieur Templer, you are mocking me again, huh? Yes, yeah. Uh, um, now, apparently, really crazily, um, the music that is used in the wild party for the work of art turns up a couple of episodes later as well. Well, waste not, what not. Absolutely. Um, he must have just, in his Volvo, he must have had his, like, stereogram in the back seat and he was able to to install it there and play it. Right, let's um, canter through the cast list. The script was by Harry W. Junkin, as are so many. Would um, get his, his, his hands dirty, just rolling up his sleeves and say, oh, leave this one to me, lads. Yolanda Turner. Now, what do you know about Yolanda Turner? It's a great name, and it sounds like it's almost like the, the, the punchline for a joke. Well, she is one of those people who not only has a career, but at the time of this episode was shot. She was married to Peter Finch and had just given birth to Charles Finch, who would later become a producer and director, and she has also four credits as a screenwriter. Mikey, she got around, didn't she? Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of those credits were collaborations with her son. But her screen credits stop at the end of the Golden Age in 1974, but they include two Diana Rig Avengers, Department S, two Saints, two Armchair Theatres, two Plays for Today, and many others. And it's a shame we didn't see her on screen a bit more. Mm. Um, Alex Scott, we've talked about, a pillar of British TV before he went back to Australia. Strange Report, Randon Hopkirk, Department S, etc., uh, etc. Et most importantly, his three Avengers points. Martin Benson, we've also just mentioned. Um, the Champions, Troubleshooters, Three Saints, Danger Man, One Step Beyond, The Vise, Invisible Man, and just pre the Golden Age in the UK, eight episodes of Rheingold Theatre, which was shot at Elstree and broadcast on America's NBC. Right, it sounds very prestigious, because it's got the word gold in the title. Indeed. It sort of uh, sounds better than Ryan Platinum, doesn't it? Yeah, I will Ryan Silver. Just like, what? Mm, don't want to see that. Now, John Bailey, who was pretty shifty in this, I think, um, four Avengers points, Plus the Champions, the Foresight Saga, Special Branch, five Wednesday plays, nine ITV plays of the week, three armchair theatres, one Sergeant Court, five Ivanhoe's, and 11 episodes of the long-lost The Granville Melodramas. And we can say what we like about those, because they've been lost. Was was that a spin-off from um, uh, Open All Hours, from Granville's character in that? I think it's the prequel. Oh, right. Okay. Well, it, it's a bit more serious rather than him falling off a bike with a big basket on the front. Uh, very probably, but who knows? I mean, actually, that might be ripe for a revival. Who's, on... to, tell, who's to tell us that we're wrong? Like you said, the series is lost. Robert Cauldron, uh, who played the sergeant, we've covered him before. Uh, he has two points, a recurring character in Five Saints as Sergeant Le Duke. 56 episodes of Dixon and Doc Green and 27 episodes of 1956's Count of Monte Cristo. Good. They spun that out, didn't they? Um, <laughs> like, yeah, each chapter. He was born in France but played a lot of coppers, both English and French. Manning Wilson, one Avengers point, a stalwart, the newcomers, two Sergeant Corks, two Saints as Inspector Quercy. Uh, the Diary of Samuel Pepys, 11 appearances as Lord Sandwich. Uh, presumably the man who decided to put stuff between two bits of bread. Yes. Um, obviously, the first one was just a piece of bread between two other pieces of bread. <laughs> and he was roundly mocked um, until um, someone suggested, um, I know, ham and cheese or possibly uh, um, tuna as, a, as, a, as an alternative. Yeah. That's a, and it's really strange that no one had thought of doing that before. Yeah. Yeah. What did they do? Did they just uh, they just like very messily eat like ham and cheese with their fingers? Um, or worse still, kind of like 
you know, tuna mayo with their fingers. Uh, yeah, it'd be a right mess. Hamilton Dice, the wonderfully named Hamilton Dice, as the forger. Now, Dave, how old would you say he was in this episode? Is this one of those uh, um, almost like a um, like a Clive Dunn trick question where you just think, oh, he was about 110 when he did Dad's Army, and you find out, oh, no, he was only in his like, early 40s. Um, Hamilton Dice, who did look very old in this, um, so I am going to say 65. He was 49. Oh, what a tough life he must have had. But into that life, he did squeeze three Avengers points, nine No Hiding Places, eight episodes of The Spies, one May Grey, and a Doctor Who in 1970. Oh, well done. Neville Becker, we've mentioned before, though born in Kingston-on-Thames, had those Mediterranean looks, which meant he got a lot of those parts, including Four Saints, Man in a Suitcase, and Danger Man. Hazel Hughes looked like she was having a whale of a time as Mayor Lafont. Um... The Strange Report, two Wednesday plays, three ITV plays of the week, and one Human Jungle. Uh, Mickey Iveria, who played the housekeeper, was in fact born in the Crimea in Tsarist Russia, and her family fled the Bolsheviks, landing up in the UK. Among other credits, Dixon of Doc Green and Danger Man. So, you see, people have lives uh, other than on TV. Um, they don't just sort of hang around in the canteen and uh, wait for the call. Um, Anne Sharp, we've mentioned before. This is the second of her three saints, One Human Jungle, The Baron, Randall and Hopkirk, The Champions, and seven episodes of Jason King. Right, so that's those two. Uh, let's move on to Iris. Um not to be confused with the Academy Award-winning feature film about Iris Murdoch. No. I think the film about Iris Murdoch lacked the thriller element. <laughs> now, I think, I don't know whether you agree with me, that Iris bears some similarity to the man who was lucky because there's a protection racket that involves a lot of ransacking. Yes. Yeah. And David Bauer's character again, foolishly attends the scene of an arson attempt, as in the element of doubt. Absolutely. Now, uh, David Bauer, or to give him his appropriate name at this stage in the saint career, David Bauer again, he's up to his neck in a protection racket. You always notice that protection rackets um, never actually do what they claim to do um, to protect people because um, they're the first ones that... Uh, uh, you know, do the ransacking and, and burning and, and knocking things over. Um, it'd be like having a fire extinguisher that just belches fire. You know, it, you just think, well, you're not a protection racket. Look at the mess you've made. OK, boys. What are you doing? Just going to warm the place up a little, that's all. Go ahead. Burn it. Farming should. Fine, and you'll be able to collect. And as soon as you get the place rebuilt, we'll burn it down again. Until you join the Merchants Protective Association. If you cooperate with me, Harry, things would be so much easier. All right, boys. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, um, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit of um, misdirection. It takes a while to get going because Barbara Murray uh, is a aspiring actress who, who is married um, to David Bauer again uh, and is uh, hopefully... Um, going to get him to invest in a um, a play, which is apparently quite terrible, called The Exit Room, um, which is set in a mortuary. And for a while, because um, everyone keeps saying how bad this play is, I thought it was going to be like something like The Producers, like with Bialystok and Bloom, um, some kind of uh, um, fleece, some kind of scam uh, or, or anything like that. But no, no. Um, but there is something else going going on. So David Bauer, again, um, who very foolishly says, I like to do my dirty work myself, which would be a lousy defence if he ever had to speak to his lawyer. And sure enough, as accidents do happen, um, he accidentally sets fire to a news agent and the news agent actually dies. At this point, Guy, I, I should point out some very worrying news. Um, is is that um, David Bauer again and his gang 
um, say it was an accident. Um, besides, who's going to miss an old man dying like that? Um, the old man in question who runs the, the news agent guy was 63. Um, 60 bloody three. Blundell's news agent, you know, it's not being run by like A.E. Matthews or Sam Jaff from Lost Horizon. Uh, it's, you think, what? How old is he? But yes, unfortunately, he does succumb uh, to to smoke inhalation and fire. Um, and then we we kind of got more of a the thrillery element in place because then David Bauer again um, gets blackmailed. But it appears... Rogers of one doing the blackmailing. That can't be right, can it? I know the saint is meant to kind of shift either side of the law, but no, that can't be right, can it? And he denies it and takes a very dim view of blackmail. If I wanted £10,000 from you, I wouldn't walk through a sword to get it. I'd simply steal it. Right, excuse me. <laughs> yes, yeah, it doesn't like it. Because they think it's the saint. They ransack his apartment. They do, and he uh, um, goes round and catches them in the act, gives them a good telling off and a, a bit of a thumping. Um, and then, and it's a scene we don't see, Guy, you might be able to ransack an apartment, but can you de-ransack an apartment or unransack an apartment? That's right. He says... You made this mess, now you clear it up. Yeah, you know, getting out by leader super mop and uh, J-cloths uh, and those kind of renter thugs yeah, they can dish it out, but can they tidy it up? They actually were very well behaved once they'd been told the error of their yeah, ways. Once, yeah, once they'd had it pointed out and one of them's got like a big black eye, you know, you better get this sorted. So there is another character that Simon has another lady friend whose father is played by Cyril Luckham who apparently is also blackmailed by the saint, and he loses his rag. Get with... out of my house, Simon Templar. Simon goes to the police, and of course, this at last, Ivor Dean assumes his rightful place as the definitive Inspector he... Claude he... Eustace Teal. Back, I would imagine that um, because of the last cop us seeing, being Philip Stone, I think Philip Stone would probably have been put on gardening leave. And we'll be on a disciplinary procedure uh, for something as as regarding work colleagues. Uh, just a little creepy. Yes, but um, Ivor Dean has that sort of reassuring sense of not being quite one step ahead of the saint, as shown by that very tense ransom pickup scene. Oh, when they're sat in the car, yeah. Mm. And there's uh, a lot of tension built up and of course they lose the money but the saint knows where the money has gone because he suspects who's actually behind all of this because again we've got some suspects for a while we think it may be um the aquiline um featured director ferdinand or ferdy main we think it may be um it may be him maybe it might be um a couple of david bauer agains um kind of uh, um Henchmen, maybe they're smart enough to, to to have figured that out. But the one that seems to be in the crosshairs is, um, and I love the way that they say it with such hatred and venom, the fact that the blackmailer is an actor. As we know, they're never to be trusted. God, never to be trusted. Hey, count your change um, if you've given them money to buy a cup of tea. Um, some nice little things in, in this episode. You may have noticed for the first time um, we see more scenes of Rog getting out of his Volvo, actually outside the building he's going into. Oh, well, yes. I mean, that is an innovation. Yeah, because um, up I, until that point, it was someone who looked a bit like Rog getting out of a Volvo outside the place he's going into, or it would be back projection. But yeah. Rog is a big enough star now to be trusted to pull up his his white Volvo outside of the building he wants to go into. Um, and apparently the other fourth wall-breaking um, aspect of this is in the um, introduction. Rog, Simon, now sees the halo. Yes. Um, I'm not quite sure how to take that, really, whether it's his ego taking over or he's hallucinating. <laughs> 
Yes, he's actually actively looking when they say the famous Simon Templar. Or my name isn't Simon Templar. He introduces himself Yes, in this one. There is a theatre. I'm wondering, actually, a bit like with Marcia, whether they might have saved a bit of money and they actually had a plausible-looking theatre at Elstree. Yeah, may well have done. May well have done, and just and just use that. Uh, obviously, there's a good bit of rehearsal, and then there's the denouement on stage, yeah. as always happens in genre thrillers of this sort. Inspector Let's... Steele and the police will be here at any moment. Again, uh, did he actually say that? <laughs> no, he... <laughs> it certainly implied uh, that they don't think the police are going to turn up, but then the police obviously all turn up mob-handed. Simon Templer manages to bat David Bowers' revolver away with a briefcase full of a shed load of money. We never establish where that money went, because obviously if it's David Bowers' money, at least half of it, uh, David Bowers hardly likely to go to the police, because the police have already come to him. There's um, the assistant stage manager, because he's still looking for 200 quid to help clear his gambling debt, and we never hear whether he gets that or not, or whether David Bauer again uh, just clears it. Yes, because David Bauer obviously has more things to uh, deal with, including a potential death penalty. Yes, that's going to be awkward. Let's have a quick run through the cast list. Barbara Murray, a long career, including 21 episodes of The Palaces in 1974. His and Hers, 1972. Anyone remember that? Jason King, The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes, Department S. 32 episodes of The Power Game, five ITV plays of the week, eight episodes of BBC Sunday Night Theatre. So she was obviously a serious actress. She was of weight. And five episodes of The Escape of RD7. It's a virus. She created it. It's never going to work out. Uh, anyway, all the episodes have been lost. Ah, uh, again, we can make it up, can't we? Well, there's a little more. RD7, I think it means rat destruction seven, because uh, this is all about a virus that she creates to kill rats. But presumably it does more than that. And oh, it escapes. Uh, I was kind of hoping it was like a... Um... Maybe it's kind of like a prototype of a robot and a bit like short circuit. It goes on the run um, and then it ends up helping a lovely old couple who run a grocery store on a housing estate in Paisley. Sadly not, though. Actually, that would have made great children's television. Um, And, you know, somebody in the 70s might have picked it up and had a cute little robot. Mm. Sergeant Cork and Danger Man also for Barbara Murray. Um, she frequently played characters called Lady Something, and she knew how to wear a period frock. Ah, oh, again, it's that old drama school training. Practice skirts, as we used to have. I didn't have one, but well, practice skirts. Now, you can see why we got confused, because we did actually say that David Bauer was Canadian in our tribute to Canada. But what's he saying this? He says that he was discharged, wasn't he, from the Canadian army? Quite right. So we're easily led astray. (laughs) Absolutely. You're not going to argue with that logic. But he was born in Chicago, according to IMDb. And anyway, his character is pretty much the same as they all are. David, (laughs) can you just come in and do your grouchy menacing thing again again go-to person for that i'd imagine up on the production office wall for the saint his picture would just be permanently up there just get him just get him again even though it's london uh, (laughs) yes yeah he has that line about being dishonorably discharged from the canadian army just to explain his accent Mm, thank you cyril luckham a pillar of british tv in the golden age his roles included scotch on the rocks don't you remember that was that Bill Simpson going all rough and ready after Dr. Finley's casebook? Yes, and meeting a sticky end, if I remember rightly. Spoiler alert. Um, with, I think it's Scotch on the Rocks, where 
there is a foot on a gurney, as the Americans call it, with a label tied to the big toe with his character's name on it in the last thing. It's Scotch on the Rocks, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a rather fanciful account of how Scotland might split from the rest of the UK. Ludicrous, I know. <laughs> what? As if that's going to happen. It's like, Quite. It's, not, it's not even like, you know, Scottish people will be allowed that kind of decision-making power. But a couple of years earlier, he appeared in The Guardians, which was a dark foretelling of a declining England of the 1980s, where the UK has broken up and England is ruled by a fascist military force called The Guardians. That also, of course, was nonsense. Yeah. And it is nonsense with parliamentary democracy currently in such rude health. Who knew Bill Simpson had such a track record in Sky-Fi? Was that Sky-Fi? Well, no, it's... Um, was it speculative fiction? Speculative fiction, I think, because I don't think there are many sciency elements in Scotch on the Rocks. Right cars, jetpacks. Um, the Guardians, of course, there was something that was also done called 1990 with Edward Woodward. Yes, Oh, carry on talking amongst yourselves. Okay. Now, 1990, rather than being a fascist regime, I mean it, man. Here's one we prepared earlier. Oh, right. Okay, so that's the book of the thing. Absolutely, yes. It says, um, 1990 AD, and state tyranny crushes Britain under a stainless steel heel. Right, but it's not a fascist regime uh, as i said it's actually uh, meant to be a socialist labor party trade union sort of thing i think the daily mail loved it uh yeah there's um even the gray tyranny of the public control department as its undercover opposition and crusading newsman kyle is one of the resistance most skilled operators yeah there you go yeah so this is by uh, Wilfred Greatrex. Um, those mad skills of resistance include having a double who there's some dispute about having had a haircut. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> and Edward Woodward gets very cross about the fact that his double has had a haircut and without telling him. And, of course, the haircut uh, has not gone unnoticed by... The Securitate. Absolutely. Yeah, the Buffon Brigade. They'd be on the lookout for that kind of thing going on. Remind me, Dave, when did 1990 go out? 1990. Let's have a look. According to, to this, let's have a look. BBC. Right. To give you an idea, um, this paperback uh, sold as 85p, but in Malta, it was 90 I don't know what you got for the extra five pence. And this was copyright uh, 77. Yes, that's kind of just outside the golden age bracket, but still that sort of pre the Conservative Party ruling probably led to Mrs. Thatcher's uh, long reign oh, as Prime Minister. Instrumental. More cast, Ferdy Main, one point, loads of shows both in the UK and German-speaking countries. He was born in Mainz. This is the first of four saints, but he also did Man in a Suitcase, The Third Man, Maygrey, and Danger Man, amongst so much other stuff. Where Eagles Bear, Cagney and Lacey. John Renane, two Avengers points, two saints, lots of TV, and a screen career that ran all the way to 2015. Tony Wager, two saints, nine episodes of Dixon of Doc Green and more. Margaret Nolan, who started off as a glamour model and who had a long career... Margaret Long, uh, yeah. Because um, she was Dink in Goldfinger mm-hmm. at the beginning uh, of that and still working up until a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. Um, and she was in uh, Last Night in Soho. In 2021. So I think she had a, a career break looking at her credits. But um, a lot of comedy, Step to and Son, Whatever Happened to the Lightly Lads, Budgie, can't win them all. Uh, Brian Ricks presents uh, The World of Beachcomber, Adam Adamant, and 17 episodes of The Newcomers as Mercedes. I remember Mercedes. I think she had long blonde hair uh, in that one. Um, And that classic line of, I thought Mercedes was a car. No, it's a French name. Barry Linehan, again, two points. The Baron, Adam Adam and Orlando, the Lightly Lads and the Andromeda Breakthrough, amongst many others. Um, and, of course, Ivan Dean. 
Right, moving swiftly on to last Sunday's episode, The King of the Beggars. Right, tell us about The King of the Beggars, Dave. King of the Beggars sees us um, return back to the glamorous streets of Rome. Um, and at first you just think old Rog is sat outside um, just gazing at people doing their passagiatas. Uh, but no, he, he turns all philosophical and says that Rome is the eternal city, is the city of two halves of um, the haves and the have-nots. Um, and then we see one of the have-nots, a, a street beggar, get run over by a car. I think it's a Mercedes. Going back to the Mercedes, it's a French car. It's not a, it's, it's a car. It's not a French character at all. You got the two mixed up. Um, and it, it transpires that there's a, a protection racket going on for street beggars in Rome. And it also gives us a chance to reacquaint ourselves with Warren Mitchell, who drives yes. his tiniest taxi. Uh, so we've we've got that uh, um, benefit. We've also got some big names in there. We've got Oliver Reed as a menacing thug. Also, we've got Yvonne Roman. Um, and those two would have worked together on um, Curse of the Werewolf. So the idea is Rog decides to do a bit of disguise work. And he disguises himself as a beggar who sells pencils um, to try and bust this racket wide open. Because there's this mythic figure called the King of the Beggars going on um, in Rome. And who is this King of the Beggars? And then we meet some suspects. Oliver Reed, whatever happened to him? Yeah. Um, he is a very convincing thug with presence and just glares at people. Because the victims are poor, they don't actually have premises that you can ransack. So They, they get... have to ransack the person themselves, don't they? They have to grab their tray of of pencils or um, cigarette lighters or whatever they may be selling and break up them and dash them to the ground. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's much harder to ransack an individual than it is a prop. Now, Rog is not the only person pretending to be a beggar. Yeah, now uh, um, we've, we've got the actress, Teresa Mantania, uh, who's going full-on method uh, because she's disguised herself as a, a street beggar and does get roughed up. But Rog cottons on the fact that, wait a minute, why why is a street beggar out this time during the day? Doesn't make any sense. And sure enough, she's doing some research, presumably for the role in her play, um, The Speranza, um, which is the hope, or I hope to see you again. Um, and she, she kind of gets a little bit sidetracked towards the end. Um, as I suppose the romantic interest, but it didn't really get time enough to be the romantic interest. Mm -hmm. Warren Mitchell is certainly starstruck by her, but she gets well. Everyone, even Rog, gets drugged, and you thought, given that his uh, ability to spot things in drinks, but obviously in hot chocolate, it's, it's not so easily detectable. And don't forget, he was pretending to be blind. So again, it's that method thing. Yeah. Yeah, but Roy does get to do a, a, a bit of acting. He does get to do a bit of acting. He does some Italian. He pretends to be blind. You know, he's he's no Colonel Frank Slade from Scent of a Woman, uh, but he gives it a good old college try. Uh, so, yeah, there is, there is uh, um, a lot of character work, which is safe to say. And then he's got his best bit of acting um, at the end, which is to appear to lie convincingly about the police being only moments away. You better start guessing, Contessa. We've had at least 24 hours to talk. You're lying. Am I? It may interest you to know that Inspector Mattioli is on his way here right now. <laughs> An old bluff like that doesn't frighten me, Mr. Templer. I have every reason to know that he is not even cooperating with you. Oh, he's cooperating with me right down the line. Why, he even helped me fake my getaway from the albergo. Hurry, Maria. But it turns out he's not lying. So there's a real truth to it. Yes, as in the work of art. Uh, and I suspect that as we go on, there will be more elements of Simon Templer putting his head in a noose and then playing for time and bluffing. But is he bluffing? Yeah. Because the police might be on their way. I think in so most of these instances where he said the police are turning up, 
And then the villains foolishly say, why, Mr. Templar, that's the oldest tick in the book. And who's laughing at the end of the credits roll, eh? Yeah, I mean, there are several tropes. One thing that did strike me, he does manage to show his uh, versatility, mm. but he keeps putting himself back in danger. One thing that we learn about Simon Templar is that he's an expert in judo. And yeah, he gives us a demonstration on, on Oliver Reed and tells him how many ways he can break his arms, legs, and every other part of his anatomy. Now, this is a very interesting hold. It was developed in 1860 by an old Japanese wrestler. It's called the Ashishingi Katami. Now, the very nice thing about this hold is that if you struggle, you break your leg. If I lean back two inches, I tear out your hip joint. Where is she? Let me go. I can easily say it was an accident. Where is she? In the room 110. I do believe our volunteer has fainted. I thought, given that opportunity and the fact that Oliver Reed turns up at the denouement uh, and menaces him again, he could have taken Oliver Reed out of the picture a bit earlier. I would have snapped his arm like a twig. Should have just snapped it like a breadstick, Rog. Now, who turns out to be the king of the beggars? Right. At first, um, because we, we do have some some suspects and and also some surprises. I know when you come through to, to the cast list, we'll look at those, and there are some surprises um, in it. But the, 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 who appears to be the main villain, Stephen Elliott, who I thought was, uh, at first I thought was Stephen Elliott. Um, not the American character actor who's in like Beverly Hills Cop and Cutter's Way, uh, but no, that's that's his his name, and he seems to to be saying all the right words, but there's a bit of a shadiness to it. Um, and then it turns out that it's the Countess, the Contessa, who up until that point we have trusted implicitly. Quite not the first dodgy Contessa uh, has to be said, uh, particularly right. in Rome, and of course. As we said, when in Rome, uh, Warren Mitchell turns up. But this is another theme. Apart from bluffing, this is a constant theme throughout episodes of The Saint, both in black and white and colour, is naughty wives. Yes, yeah. Because in Marcia, it was the wife. Yeah. In Iris, it's the wife. And in King of the Beggars, it's the wife. Oh, um, um, I can't remember whether Leslie Charteris's own marital history might have anything to do with this, but it does seem to be uh, a theme. Usually wives or, um, was it Teresa? She wasn't actually a villain, but she was hiding something. Yes, she was up to, yes, up to no good. Turned out that she'd quite like her husband dead, even though that wasn't uh, <laughs> the object of the journey. So... I think beware of the wife is one of the things if you're watching The Saint. One other thing that we didn't get to, did you get those pictures I texted you? Oh, right, yes, but I didn't understand them. Right. It's because, and uh, bear with me. I should point out, viewers, listeners, um, that there there has been some visual elements um, to this evening's broadcast. This relates to Marcia and which concentrated on the UK's nascent motorway network. And there was big signs saying M1 Birmingham. Now, people who might know the UK's motorway network might be a little confused about that because the M1 doesn't go to Birmingham. I wondered whether it ever did. So I consulted Wikipedia and the answer is no. Well, I think if you relied on the saint for travel directions, you would be sorely misled. Oh, you'd be you'd end up in Kettering. The first section of the M1 between Junction 5, Watford, and Junction 18, Crick slash Rugby, opened on the 2nd of November 1959, together with the motorway's two spurs, the M10 and the M45. The M1 was officially inaugurated from Slip End, close to Luton, uh, celebrated by a large concrete slab on the bridge next to the village. (laughs) 
inscription London to Yorkshire Motorway. Anyone unfamiliar with the geography of the UK, Birmingham is off to the side of that <laughs> yeah. direct route. So I would say that they were playing fast and loose with the geography uh, and the motorway network as it was being built. I just thought I'd throw that in um, because otherwise we might get letters. Yes. Yeah. Um, please remember that The Saint is not a documentary series. Running through the cast list on King of the Beggars, we've talked about Oliver Reed. I think those wrestling moves may have helped when he did the thing with Alan Bates. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think so. That's it's one of those things. Can't imagine what the rehearsals were like for that. That'd be all totes orcs. I think they said they just drank a bottle of spirits between each. They just did it. <laughs> and just did it. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, Oliver Reed at this time was just a jobbing actor and not a star. He was in a lot of stuff, including the science fiction series R3 for 13 episodes as Dr. Richard Franklin. Now, this sounds like an early version of Doomwatch, uh, but we'll never know because it's been lost. Except... Oh, right, we can make it up again. Is it about a cute robot? Uh, no, it's about a bunch of people who investigate stuff. But it's like been lost. the Ombudsman lost. service. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been lost all except for Ken Thorne's theme tune. Well, I like Ken Thorne. <laughs> Yvonne Remain, Five Armchair Theatres, A Twilight Zone, Danger Man, Two Third Mans, Two Feature Films with Oliver Reed. Uh, Warren Mitchell, as we've said, on his third appearance as taxi driver Marco de Cesare. Um, Canadian John McLaren, One Point, Three Saints, A Human Jungle. Charles Houston, One Point, Five Saints. The Champions, Dr. Finn's Casebook, Danger Man, The Baron, The Persuaders, Department Death, Special Branch, The Adventures of Robin Hood and Police Surgeon. A stalwart of British television. Cranky, yeah. Go to. Jesse Robbins. Lots of stuff, including Two Saints. But if anyone remembers it, six episodes of Wild Wild Women, a sitcom about suffragettes, starring also Barbara Windsor and Pat Coombs. Oh, right. Okay. No, I don't. I do remember it. There is a joke where they're creating a banner saying votes for women. And the O in votes is actually extra large because they work in a milliner's shop and they've used the lining from one of the hats by accident. Ah. Bruno Barnaby, three Avengers points, 20 episodes of something called Slim John from 1969. Any guesses? Does does Slim John um e exist? Um oh I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna say he, it's some kind of cop show. It it sounds like a very sinister cop show or possibly some kind of weird science fiction thing but no it's an educational series which does use science fiction elements of alien androids trying to take over the world to teach english to non-english speakers and the aliens make contact with each other with a portable handheld device and this is used as a learning tool for the viewer cast members included simon williams and adam adamant's juliet harmer Bruno Barnaby was also in six episodes of Danger Island, which has been lost. Oh, not Danger Island. That used to be in the, the Banana Splits. That must be a different one. No, I think so, because I think the Banana Splits probably still exists somewhere. Yay! Um, I'm surprised that Talking Pictures haven't actually... <laughs> Resurrected uh, them. Hey, they're directed by Richard Donner, and he did Lethal Weapon. That shows his range, doesn't it? Does one little bonus I couldn't resist saying that is um, the King of the Beggars does feature a lovely little cameo from Ronnie Corbett. So there we go. Just thought I'd mention that. I I thought he played that very well actually. Um, um, does he plays Nicky the Callboy at the theatre? What's up next for the Saint Dave? Uh, according to our schedule, next 
uh, um, next episode is the Rough Diamonds. Um, now, oh, they sound like a, a, a kind of like a tough bunch um, uh, uh, to work with. This sounds like it's going to be very, very UK based uh, because we've got George A. Cooper, um, who many people may remember from the TV series Billy Liar, um, and Douglas Wilmer, um, who people may remember from um, the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Um, All right, but but also I think he played uh, Sherlock Holmes, didn't he? Before he Peter did, Cushing yeah, took over, he did, and is in um, the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes's smarter brother. Um, <laughs> as well. um, also in their batting, possibly with coughs and spits, um, are Jeffrey Palmer and your old chum, um, tough nut Ray Austin. Is- I think there might be a punch up <laughs> um, when a consignment of industrial diamonds. Um, is hijacked after its arrival in England, the saint plunges into a case full of unexpected twists and turns. And we know this one's going to be a bit pacey uh, because it's P.T. Yates at the helm again. Jolly good. Well, I'll look forward to that one and we will be on it. Yes, that just about wraps it up currently for the Saints. You've been listening to the review show of Rose Tinted Black and White Television, um, which is available on our SoundCloud channel, the SoundStage North SoundCloud channel. There'll be uh, a link to it from our Showcase channel, which, of course, the last episode which went up earlier this week was small screen to big screen. So this has been Dave Neal and me, Guy Morgan, talking about the golden age of black and white TV and, in particular, episodes of the saint the black and white ones which are currently going out on talking pictures television we shall be pursuing other avenues of british television history in the coming weeks i thank you good evening